0: You're listening to Hawks Insiders, the home of all things brown and gold on
1: the internet. Subscribe to our Substack for more Hawks coverage. Hi, everyone. Ashley Brown here. Welcome back to Hawks Insiders, another special edition podcast. And if you thought Peter Burge last week was a beauty, this one should be just as good, if not better, and even more informative. It is with Rob McCartney, the General Manager of Football at the Hawthorne Footy Club. He'll be with us very, very shortly. In the meantime, I'm joined by co-hosts and colleagues. Andrew Weiss, hello.
0: G'day, Ash. Looking forward to another great, insightful chat and some be- behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, a good look at what's going on behind the scenes.
1: And Danny Prince, Hello.
2: Good to be here, Ash. And yeah, like Weasy said, uh, being able to you don't get the opportunity to chat to the head of football every day, so it's a really exciting time to have a conversation with Rob McCartney and see where he
1: thinks the Hawks are at. We've got about five hundred thirty-seven questions for him, but we've whittled it down to uh, an acceptable number. So uh, let's have a chat to Rob. He's with us right now. Rob, uh, great to have you with us on Hawks Insiders. For starters, take us through a day in the life of your role. What exactly does it entail? I, I
3: often uh, say to people, Ash, um, you, as you might know, my previous career is is very much uh, in the education space, and I finished the last ten years as a principal. Um, not unlike the the expectations of a of a school principal is the gen- general manager of football. Um, realistically, you know, you don't get to 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 sit in front of the kids like teachers do and I don't get to you know be in front of the players on a regular basis like coaches do or our high performance team do or even the analytics team so the responsibility for me is to ensure that we're creating an environment that allows all of those people to do their best work so that our players just benefit from that. Um, So mine is the day in life of a, a general manager of footy is is more or less just making sure that things are in place for all people within our organisation. Our, uh, our football department are able to work at their absolute optimum. So that could involve, you know, catching up and having having conversations with different people within the different departments. It's very much about at this time of the year, you know, setting agendas around what do we want, what does success look like for, a, for an analytics team, for a, a medical team, for a strength and conditioning team, for a coaching team. Um, and once we understand what success looks like, how do we measure that? So getting those things in place at this time in the year so that we can just have really good and robust conversations throughout the year in regards to, you know, how we're actually tracking. I, I find, I, I, I absolutely find it baffling that, you know, um, you know, people need to come into football clubs and do these reviews um, because realistically the, the fact is that we're reviewing all the time, and and the only thing that might not be happening is that that information isn't getting, getting to the right people. But at our club, um, the board's very much aware of of what we're trying to achieve, how we see and and measure success, and and in fact how we're going with that.
1: So when you started, you painted a vision for the club that was sort of roundly hailed—a a, a vision for the football operation. Can you? expand, tell us a little bit about what that vision was and how far down the path towards that vision being achieved, are you?
3: Yeah. So the the vision was, was very much, it was at a time where it was the end of, of 2020, 2020. Um, and, you know, we'd come off the, the back of that year where everyone was away from home and playing footy in a, in a hub environment. And, you know, we we'd come to realise that um, there needed to, to be change at our football club at, at that stage, a group that had been amazingly good servants and, and amazingly good players for our football club were, were coming to the end of their peak, you know, of their powers. So, you know, it wasn't now a time to to keep topping up and trying to get close again. It was a time for, you know, significant change. So the The vision was very much around, you know, it's time to embrace change and plan for an exciting new future. Um, One that had to be really strategic in its intent um, and one that, you know, would within five years, give us another chance to get back to that point where we compete again, not just at the pointy end. We're not a club that is just happy to play. Sorry, we're not a club that is happy to play just finals. We want to compete at the pointy end. So, you know, that vision was all around, You know, we needed to to set, you know, some significant standards around our high-performance culture, and that's that bit I was talking to you about before in terms of each of our teams within the, the football department having a real understanding of what success looks like, not just at Hawthorne but in the competition, competition best practice, and then how we're measuring that and how we're staying accountable to that and how we're having the robust conversations about developing our people so that they can be the best in their roles. You know what? was around also obviously prioritizing that we had to go back to a development phase, um, a phase where we needed to get games into young players and find the next crop of players that were going to be, um, you know, the 13, 14, and 15 premiership players of just the recent past. Um, in in that, we also had to to look really hard at our leadership. Um, so we'd been really well served by a number of Exceptional leaders in, and Hodgie probably being the, the epitome of, of that. But, you know, we had a bit of a void of, of who was going to be the next Hodge or Mitchell within our football club. Um, so we needed to not just hope that this this leader would emerge. We needed to become more strategic about the programming that we provided. Um, with all of that, those priorities then needed to be reflected in how we spent our money. Um, so, you know, in business, as you guys would know, um, you know, the, the best businesses know what creates and, and brings about change in performance and, and creates the results that you want. And that's where you spend your money. So we needed to go back to putting investment into development, putting investment into into leadership, and most importantly, putting investment into, into our recruiting, because we knew at that stage, and this was a key pillar of, of um, this vision, was that we needed to go back to finding high-end talent through the draft and getting as many of those players in as quickly as we possibly could. Um, and then hopefully those players would, you know, more or less evolve with the group that we had at the club that were sort of 24 and under at that phase. So we were always talking about, you know, are these players going to be here when we win our next premiership? Um, and that was pretty significant in, in the plan. And then finally, the the last leg of that strategy was to, To ensure that we um, you know, we were pretty brave and courageous and bold and aggressive around our our workforce planning. Um, an example of that is, you know, the Peter Burge coming into the to the football environment as our high performance manager. We knew exactly what we wanted in that space and and we weren't scared to to go about getting that in a in a manner that brought you know the outcome that we got.
2: So Incredibly detailed uh answer to that first question Robin um we're probably going to unpack those sections, I think with various questions as we go along um the, I wanted to start with the time that you came in. you obviously replaced uh Graham Wright when he departed for Collingwood firstly interim and then I think you were, it was officially your two year anniversary in this role um february right twenty twenty one um and that was a period of, of of huge change for the football club and and I guess the last two years have been massive for our football club in terms of change how has um, how's that gone from your perspective as the head of football, seeing the change of um, arguably the most successful coach of the modern era into uh, the heir apparent uh, in Sam Mitchell and what what does that look like and then you know piggybacking off that question the changes and you talked about the playing list changes and being really aggressive in that space has that been a direct result of the coaching change or was that always you know the aim for the football club going forward?
3: Yeah well um, you're right um, you sort of step straight into the fire and. In starting in 2021 as the the head of football of the Hawthorne Football Club, um, look, Alistair's been an outstanding servant of, of our football club, and yeah, there's no doubt he's he'll go down in history, and we can be 100 years on and talking about this, although we won't be, um, someone will be, and they'll be saying that this Alistair Clarkson was was a you know a mastermind of success for this football club, maybe the the greatest coach. Um, you know of, of of that era and that time. Well, what happened though was that um, we were in a phase of of as a football club where we knew that the playing phase of that era was nearly coming to an end, and a lot of those conversations were were had between Alistair and um, you know our football club uh, where that was sort of heading. You know, I think we'd all agree. You know, the one thing that that probably could have been done better was just the the handling of of that departure. Alistair was quite diplomatic in in leaving, but Sam never got the chance to really enjoy that phase of of becoming a coach, you know, someone that, you know, had been really planning for this for a hell of a long time. Um, he didn't get to enjoy it because we probably didn't get that part right with with Alistair either. So not only is is um you know probably Alistair hurting a little bit, but Sam didn't get the opportunity to to enjoy that transition either. Um but realistically, you know, I, I think you know what what has shown is that Alistair's time out of the game has probably been good for him. Um he's he's definitely re-energized by what I hear at North El- North Melbourne. And if you look at our season last year and where this club's heading, the the change in coach was what was also required for for Hawthorne Football Club as well. Um, Sam was able to, to refresh the the mood within the environment. He was able to have a slightly different plan in terms of of taking his time to get there. Um, and that was pretty important with this this group. Like it wasn't going to be a fix of we could get there in an, in 12 months, two years, even three years. Um, it was something that we had to have the patience and we had to have a coach that would go that journey. Um, at that phase, I don't know whether Alistair knew he would um, and, you know, the club probably thought the same. Uh, but again, I keep going back to, you know, Clarko was, a, was an outstanding coach. Um, not one day when he was in this environment did he not give his absolute all and some um, and you know the the results of 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 his coaching were were significant um but we're now in that phase that I think you know we're we're pretty satisfied with twelve months along. we've got the right bloke coaching at our side we've got a strategy that's that's definitely aligned to the longer game, not the shorter game, and we're not deviating um so. That's the, the first phase. The second phase did did the, um, you know, the playing departures and that all work in with, with that first step. Well, in some ways, it's not Sam's strategy and what we're doing It's it's our club strategy. We actually got together when that transition took place and Sam's knowledge was definitely put into the knowledge pool of, of what we needed to do, but he wasn't the sole voice. Um, you know, we were really clear on the fact that this needed to be a Hawthorne decision um, with key people and Richie vandenberg was a was a key player in that um, in my role of head of forty I was as well. Mark Mackenzie as our list management manager um, was also a key player uh, and that conversation then happened between four people around let's set the strategy for this next phase um, and that's what we've done, and part of that strategy was to be really you know open minded around. You know the the fact that if we wanted to get high end talent in um, and a number of it, then at some stage it would mean decorated players, amazing servants. In you know Jack made the decision himself in Jack Gunston, but you know Tom Mitchell and and Jay um finding homes to allow that next evolution of of this phase of the strategy.
0: Rob, in terms of, obviously, that's a, a, a monumental shift for the club, certainly, um, from what we can see, in terms of optically, that that coach transition, and that filtered through to all elements within the club, to most recently, um, you know, that the board changes at the end of the la- last year, for you personally, in your role, did you feel there was a significant shift with how you had to approach your role and, and did that change significantly? Was that difficult to adapt to for you?
3: Oh, look, and in, in, initially uh, the, the most challenging part of this is that I have a, a long lasting relationship with Alistair that goes back to when we were 13 and 14 year olds um, playing footy together in a, a little town called Caniva. Um, So, you know, seeing that, that first transition was, was challenging, but, one of the, the the things I must admit for me is that you know I'm I'm really understanding in in terms of wherever I'm at in terms of my working life. My my responsibility is to to the organization, and in this sense, it's to the members and the fans of our football club to give ourselves the very best chance of, of success again. And I go back to what I said earlier in, in that, you know, Hawthorne Football Club isn't a club that just wants to be you know, on the edge of finals, playing finals, winning one, dropping out, maybe coming back in an, another couple of years. We're a club, and we talked about it before we come on air, we've won a, a flag every decade. Um, to do that now requires significant strategy and some pretty tough and hard decisions at different times to actually bring that strategy to fruition. Um, and my role as, as head of footy was was part of of you know, putting some of those things in places. Obviously, you know, the, the, the board and, and uh, Richie as a footy director played a, a much stronger role in the in the coaching changeover. But, you know, ever since that change has taken place, the strategy that we talked about initially is definitely my responsibility in terms of making sure it's implemented and, and not deviated. As soon as we deviate, as soon as we lose a little bit of patience in terms of what we're trying to do, Um, It won't help us. But if we stay the course, one thing I'm really comfortable in, um, in five years' time, we'll know that we've given ourselves every chance to be successful. Now, will we be successful? Well, you know, the next few years are going to tell us that. But will we have put in a a strategy that has been proven in this competition over the, the journey of, and probably Hawthorne was the first club to really do it through that phase of just before 08? but it is about getting high-end talent into your club, Um, you know, taking a couple of hits. It might mean that you have to drift towards the back end of the ladder for a couple of years, but you have to build talent and then you have to be able to retain talent. And the way you retain it is that you've got a good environment and good culture and everyone knows what the plan is and absolutely believes in it and is wedded to it and is driven to achieve it.
1: Rob, can you walk us through this? Sort of relevant to this question, we want to ask you is so on draft night, you've already drafted uh, Cam McKenzie. Then you re-enter the draft in the first round. You trade to get the chance for Josh Weddle. Can you walk us through who made who who said there's a chance we can do something here? Who actually makes the call to you know green light and say yeah, let's do this? Take us through the dynamics and the chemistry of the the draft room for that particular decision because I think that speaks to how big-picture decisions being made for, on the footy side of the club.
3: Yeah, well, the, the interesting part about that, Ash, is that, um, that that decision wasn't a surprise to us. All our planning um, going into that draft was that we knew at some stage we wanted to try and get a second pick in that first round. Um, We'd ordered our players through Mark McKenzie and his recruiting team, significant work. But in saying that, um, Sam played a significant part at the back end of the year as they shared that information with him. And even David Hale, who's got a real interest in senior coaching in the future, started to to get involved once the season had ended. So we had coaching input as well as recruiting input. Um, And we went to, to draft night knowing where we rated players, but also knowing the scenarios of, okay, when it gets to pick 14, what might we need to give to be able to get 14? Yeah, you know, what are the what is the scenarios that will bring that about? And fifteen and sixteen, and I think we got it at eighteen, didn't we? And we were on the phone, and we were we were going for it um, because we knew we'd rated Weddle quite highly. In and did t- you give us a number. Quite highly, <laughs> <laughs> much higher than eighteen. Um, yeah, so it was again, worth
0: it. Was worth a shot, Rob.
3: It was. It did- was well and truly worth getting back
0: in. Um, did, did you have him top did you have him top 10 you don't have to give uh, us that's a good that's that a good number. question
3: look I think what you will you will know from that draft is that the first nine or 10 in that draft were pretty much um you know a lock and and we we had them very very similar but maybe in different order um so he he wasn't too far out of that is, is what I'll tell you <laughs> and when he got to to you know when it got to 15 and we thought yep let's get in when it got to 16 when it got to 18 we're thinking god you know are we ever going to get one of these to to come to fruition so the decision's not made by one the decisions made well and truly before that night by that group um, of which I'm I'm a part of of that and and my part is not picking talent but my part is are you sticking to the strategy is this in line with exactly what we said we were going to do two years ago? Uh, green light, tick that it does. Then get to a poise and make it happen. Um, and you know, in a very very small snippet, and I look out when I look to the to the left of me here, I look out over Wave. We're not doing too much training on there, but um, we are we are definitely seeing the best of that young boy. Um, and that decision that we made. And I've got, a, I've got a really strong feeling that he's going to be a
1: great player for our football club for a long time. Uh, I want to ask you about um, Peter Burge. We had a really good chat with him last week uh, at the Idra Club game the other day. Someone came up to me and said, we've got some good recruits at the club. He might be the best of them. What has he brought? And he obviously, you've explained to us that you, you went hard to get him. Um, what has he brought to the club? What sort of difference maker is he, has he been and what will he be?
3: Yeah, already um, really impressed by, by Peter and, and not surprised. I've, obviously, it wasn't a stab in the dark for us because um, Birgie had actually been at Hawthorne before he started his journey to initially St Kilda and then obviously Richmond for, for nearly a decade. Um, so we knew exactly what we were getting when... We we talked about the character and the and the makeup of the fella. Um, what we hadn't seen, obviously, is is him up close in that period of time at at Richmond. But all we did see is how those players were prepared to play the game. And we just felt that when you look at our list and you know that that young group that you know now are starting to emerge in Moore and and McDonald and Ward and Day and Giath and and MP, and then you go back to the next group. You know, Mackenzie and and Weddell, they're all hard running players. And that Richmond group just seemed to be able to run all day and compete all day. They were they were dynamic in their movement. They were hard at the contest, contest hard at the body. We wanted to 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 develop players in the same mode. Um, and what better person to have? is someone that's already had that experience and learnt obviously from the successes of that, but also maybe would do it a little bit differently, even from the things that mightn't have worked just as well. So it was a, it was a targeted approach around our list suiting Peter Burge as a high performance manager, but high, you know, the high performance manager suiting our list as well. And look, he's just come in and, and again, I want to go back like, no disrespect to to Luke Boyd, who was in the in the role previously, um, but he'd been been there for a while, and we just get a different knowledge pool into the into the space. And it's you know it's the same with Sam compared to to Clarko. You get a different look at coaching through Sam's eyes than what you do through Clarko's eyes. And and with this one now, you get a you know you get a, a different set of eyes looking over our players, a different knowledge pool he brings to to our club. And there is always a couple of little tinkers. And and we know that human beings just love, you know, small amounts of change. They don't like a lot of change, um, but they like small amounts of change. And often what it does is it motivates them. It creates a little bit of belief in in who they are and what they're doing. Um, they become re-energised really and excited about what, what um, might be in store for that next training session. And, and Peter's been very much that and more um. Terrific fella in that he's a relationship builder, but has got a pretty strong and, and hard-nosed belief in what's right and what's wrong. And he's not prepared to, to deviate on, on what is right.
0: Rob, I think it's clear to see the direction that we're heading in. And certainly at, at this point in time, in terms of members and fans, there seems to be quite a bit of leeway being given to the journey that we're on um and and you mentioned needing to be able to there are no short, um there are no shortcuts, this is the plan that's in place. um th- there is a phrase that's been bandied around a bit recently around no speed limits. Um, so what from your point of view, what are the expectations for this season, I guess, and how fast tracked can operation next Premiership become? Um and what does that balance look like?
3: Yeah, um, it's a great question. It's don't worry, it's one that we we ask ourselves in in here as well. And um the the hardest thing for for us, and and I know what maybe our fans would like to to grab hold of is that, oh look, the club thinks I'll win this many games this year. Um that's hard to, to predict in, in where we are in, in this phase of, of this program that we're in. Um, and that being, the reason being is that we have made the choice through through opportunity um, to release, not Jack because Jack made the decision, but, you know, Tom and, and Jager uh, and go with a, a number of younger boys through the draft, um, even trade for... For a couple in Amon meek and Stevens now realistically there'd be some that would question and say well does that make your list weaker um, not stronger what we would we would like to think is that if we can continue to develop this group I think the second half of the year should be a better better season than the first half in terms of possibly win and loss now What I've also seen is I've seen sides turn things around like Collingwood, um, who went to nearly the bottom of the ladder uh, and then jumped within 12 months. Now, I think we'd be unrealistic if we thought we were going to do something like that, but could we win games that people don't expect us to win early in the season? Too right we could. Like this group has a real strong belief in that they're going to be the players who play in the next premiership. They're not thinking that. The, the next successful era is going to bypass them. And they're, they're hell-bent on making that happen as quick as they can. So the, the bit about no speed limits is that the players are actually setting that themselves. They're sort of saying to us, well, we're, we're keen to, to be successful. We've seen what success looks like at this football club and we want a piece of that. Um, And we'll train really hard and we'll work really hard and we'll do the extras that give us every chance to, to be successful as quickly as we can. Um, so I, I fear what will happen is that this is a development year for our footy club, without a doubt. We want to get another 20 games into to uh, We want to get another 20 games into, into Ward. We want to get another 20 games into McDonald and many others so that we can get to the point where we've got a group that at the end of this season has got an average games of, you know, a touch over 50, closer to 60. Um, What you do know is, and history tells you, is that premierships are won around about 90 to 100. Although, if you look at Geelong last year, it's a hell of a lot more than that. Um, But historically, you know, it was quite interesting, even before before last year's, I think it was nearly like 99 games was the average of, of the last sort of 10 years in terms of premiership Um, average games of players within those premiership teams. We've got to build those numbers up in our players. Ours are too low at the moment. Um, So get games into those kids. Let them do what they do best, and that's have, you know, a real crack at at, um, each opponent and every opportunity that presents. And like we saw last year on on, uh, Easter Monday, we win a game that no-one expects us to win that's going to, I'm, I'm really confident that's going to happen again this season. How many of those? That's the thing that I think we've just got to wait and see. And will we perform a little bit inconsistently at times like we did up in Tarwin in the Gold Coast? More than likely, that's still going to be a part of our season. So you've got to ride the, the highs with the lows at the moment as we get those games into the group. But I would expect, if you were asking me what's my predictin- prediction for the season, the second half of the year, is going to be a better, better part of our season than the first half. But that doesn't underestimate what we could do in the first half in terms of winning games that people don't expect us to win.
2: I think it's um, it's a fantastic segue, uh, Rob, into the question that I had for you, which is around the building of resilience in young players to ride those bumps. Because, you know, we know with young lists that, and you talked about it, there are inconsistencies in games and then from game to game, you know, and that's, that's, I think all Hawthorne supporters or the vast majority will have an understanding that that's coming and that, you know, they need to be patient because we're building from the ground up. And this, this core of players that you talked about need to experience the highs and they need to experience the lows. If they could win Easter Monday again this year, most of them would be happy. But um, what mechanisms have the club put in place? And and I'm sure you're overseeing and set with Sam as well um, to Help them ride those bumps in in over the course of this season um, to set them up to be able to, I guess, face adversity um, like the three-peat team did so well in our last successful era.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a, and it's a great question. I think one of the the, the big things that we we looked at, and it was uh, you know, I think Clarko was always quite good at this as well, but Sam definitely put in place you know, as part of, of the way he wanted to do things is that the players were were definitely made through their schedule to experience other things other than footy through their time at the club. So we called it pop the bubble, um, more or less. I think, you know, there's no doubt footballers are in a, a quite a protected bubble when they're, you know, AFL players. Um, and sometimes that bubble absolutely doesn't give them the chance to develop the resilience that they need not only for their their time after footy but also for the tough things that happen in footy and their careers so part of that program was was really getting back to understanding what you know other people do to 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 get the job done in their careers um you know it was about getting you know their their hands a little bit dirty and washing jumpers and and cleaning cleaning areas of the football club that they believed, or not that they believed, but they knew other people did, Um, and getting a real understanding that, you know, life isn't always about someone doing something for you. It's actually about someone or you doing something for someone else at times as well. And that balance, I think, has helped our players create a different understanding of what the world is like. And the world isn't about everything just works for you and, and everything gets done for you. Um, And I think that's been a a really important part of the the journey and the ride for this group. I think the other thing I would would suggest as well has been really important is that the most important thing that you need in times of challenge or hardship is you need others. You need connection and you need to feel like you're part of something. Um, While it doesn't take some of the pain away, what it does is it allows people to look after you when you need looking after and you feel quite safe that, you know, at some stage you're going to come out the other side because you've got good people around you. And that's, again, been a really big part of of Sam's approach with with this group of players and, and, you know, more or less holistically with our football department is that we're going to create connection. We're We're going to build care and love and we're going to look after each other in a manner that, makes you feel that if the toughest time comes, you're going to have people around you that are going to help you through it. And, we, you know, like that's the thing. These times are coming, aren't they, for all of us, whether it's a game of footy that, you know, we expected to win, if it's an individual who expected to be selected and didn't, if it's a player who had the shot for goal that could have won the game and we didn't make that kick, you know, there's so many things. They're small things in the game as compared to, you know, I was... um, lucky enough to to share in in the story of a a lovely lady today at a at a funeral Um, you know there's where the real hardship hardship is when people lose people that are really really close to them Um, but you know hopefully what we've got is we've got a mechanism in our football club where we're connected enough that in any of those situations there'll be people who stand beside stand behind and stand in front uh, and support that person at our
0: footy club for what it's worth uh, from the outside looking in and uh, not necessarily you know drilling into the specifics but when it comes to hearing our coaches or administrators speaking publicly or you just need to look at any of our players social media channels the togetherness of the group that is being built like it's actually um you can feel it like it is there and is building, which is great. I just want to get into a couple of, um. we might move into a couple of individual players and, and ask you about a couple of different players. Cause you mentioned before, you mentioned Josh Ward, you mentioned about the need to get another 20 games into X number of players, which makes perfect sense getting up to that experience Um, playing in all conditions with each other, game plan, learning the game plan, all of that sort of stuff. How do you balance that with form? And what should we expect to see then with players such as, I'll I'll give you a couple of examples, Um, James Warple and Denver Granger-Barras, who are two players individually that divide fans around... Versus, again, they're just kids, and another twenty games into them, um, you know, staying the course, especially with someone like DGB as a key position, young, still got a lot of development to do.
3: Yeah. Oh, look, I think what what I will say is I'll go back to last year, Um, and at team selection, at different times, we were were really in the position of do you give the an extra game to a young player, or do you give a an, an extra game to a player who hasn't quite solidified their their AFL status, but are good enough maybe to make it into the Hawthorne team at the moment? Um, and we we would nearly always err on we'll pick the young young player over, over the older player in that situation. Now that didn't mean if the the older player was form was good that that player was, was not in the team that they would be picked on form. But if it was, you know, a line ball around older player, younger player, we would go younger player every day. Um, We've got seven players who are 27 or older this season. So those younger players who are under 27, get out there and earn your spot. You're competing against each other. Now, now, You're not competing against, um, you know, an older player who is in similar form to you and will go with the young bloke. Um, They're going to have to earn their spots, going to have to earn their stripes a lot more this year. Um, Does a Cam McKenzie and a Josh Weddle and even a Henry Hussway, now you haven't said that name, but he impressed us in the intra-club the other night. um, Do they deserve at some stage a chance to get in? And then when they get in, do they deserve, you know, possibly close to a month of footy, probably they do. But the warples and the DGBs and and players of of that age now going to have to earn their spots. Um and that will be still, you know, quite competitive, uh, particularly in our back end. You know, Denver's a a ripper. He needs to to put on some size, obviously. And that's starting to come. Um, but, you know, there's eight or nine players in that back six that have to fit into seven spots um and at this stage it's now no longer a you know a Denver Granger Brass or a Kyle Hartigan it's a Denver Granger Brass or another younger player it could be a Josh Weddle yeah it's um
2: it's really it's really tricky and um obviously a balancing act at the selection committee uh, in terms of the competing priorities and the competing needs for players. And at the end of the day, it's going to be up to the players to put their hand up um, and and be selected or make it impossible for people not to, for you guys not to select them. Um, my, My question around the balance is how much pressure and we used um uh, james Warple as a as an example, one of our now more senior midfielders at what twenty three or twenty four um how How do we go about setting up the midfield for um the long term without burning people at the stake like John Newcomb, who has to carry a huge load with the departures of um you know Jager O'Meara and Tom Mitchell in the off season and how do we support him? Uh, as best we possibly can, John Newcombe. I'm talking about to be able to cope with the demands of becoming
3: effectively Hawthorne's number one midfielder. Yeah, I think the the first thing I bet you you guys have seen it and felt it. Um, the boy from Puyo Poo Wong is a, an amazingly well balanced, well resilient uh, human being. So he will he will thrive with some extra responsibility. Um, but what will also happen, I think, is that um, while some experience in terms of games has gone out, um, what will come in is some, you know, some youthful, you know, ex- exuberation of, of players who, who just want to play this game and are desperate to be part of, of AFL life. And that is, you know, the ward's, it's Warple getting a second chance He's like a, uh, you know, a player who's who's a first year again, and and he's had a really good preseason, and his form, you know, within that preseason has been strong enough that, um, you know, there's no doubt he'll be he'll be pushing for his chance in round one, um, but then you 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 get a player like Moore who can come in and out, who's starting to show that you know he's growing every. Every pre-season that we have in terms of a player, vice captain this year, it's an amazing rise. Um, As well as that, though, you know, Cam McKenzie gets some exposure. So they're young. I agree with that, but I think what they'll bring is they'll bring such energy to that midfield group. And yeah, look, they'll they'll make some mistakes at different stoppages, but they'll win others with, with just a you know a willingness to hunt and. And to to be aggressive and not get beaten, um, and a real energy that that is is
1: required for us to get better. Uh, we're all hoping, John, John, you can prove people wrong. I was, I may, not have been, may or may not have been speaking to someone on the coaching staff of another club who thinks he's reached his ceiling already. So uh, let's see what happens this year. Uh, that, with-
3: he's had one. Pre-season, <laughs> previous to this one, I reckon. Uh, I reckon he might still have a little bit of, of growth in him, Jai, and I, I, it'd be a great thing for him to hear because uh, he uh, he prepares like he's only just getting started.
1: Uh, may me answer to this question then: Who is the player at Hawthorne that I mean? This probably most underrated player, player that you don't think a lot of opposition clubs or supporters talk about or rate, but is. Within the footy club, I hate using the word four walls of the footy club, but within the footy club is really highly rated and perhaps a, a best kept secret.
3: I look, for mine, you straight away, I straight away go to Hardwick. Um, I, don't, I don't think too many supporters of other clubs, when asked to name the best five players at Hawthorne, I don't think too many of them would have Hardwick in their top five. Um, I don't think there'd be too many inside our four walls at Hawthorne that wouldn't have him. Um he's just he's just a, an amazing competitor. Um he rarely, if if ever, lowers his colours. He might break even sometimes at, at worst. Um aerially for his size, he he's able to beat opponents who are taller. Um, he's able to beat opponents who are quicker than him. Um he's he's just the and look, you know I, I think if I think of of Dimmer when he arrived, he was a kid who come in and and had been brought up in a manner that um you you needed to work hard if you wanted to get anything in in your life and and he was prepared to do that work right from from day one and and then when he goes out and plays he he plays with effort, um, and that effort gives him every chance to to beat the Charlie Camerons and you know, the players who you would probably expect that might be able to get hold of it.
0: So, uh, I mean, that's the perfect perfect answer to the question. So just to follow that up, um, I, I mean, if you asked Hawthorne supporters if there was someone that was going to surprise us and be named captain that's not James Sicily, he would have been and he was like we've run spaces we've talked about it we've done our own leadership groups and he features for everyone is there something is is it just him not wanting that sort of role is there a reason he's been left out of the leadership group per se
3: yeah so look he he was a he was a player that um you know our players identified as well as being someone who who does demonstrate leadership within our our football club. Um, What I would suggest is that, you know, Dima hasn't had a great appetite for, you know, being the person at the front of the room in the whole time he's been at the football club. But what he has shown is he's understood that there is a bit of a change taking place at our club at the moment. And he does need to take a little bit more of an active uh, space and place in, in that area. Um, and he's doing that but i think he'd be more than happy that he doesn't have an extra meeting uh a week um with the leadership group he's a he's a he's a ripper he's a you know he's a leader by action as we know um so you know too many words and and dima's probably switched off about 5 minutes ago um how many
1: Spots are up for grabs. I know you're probably privy to match committee. How many spots for round one? And ask you to tell us who and who's in and who's out. How many spots do you think for round one are signed and sealed? And how many play, How many spots are up for grabs over the next two weeks?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I might actually. What I might do before I even answer that one is that, like you guys would remember the the back end of the season. So would our fans. Um, I think one of the the big surprises to come for us, and the reason why we're we might surprise a few early on, is the back end of the season, Frost was injured, Day was injured, Impey was injured, um, Bramble was injured. Wingard. CJ was inj- injured. Wingard was injured. Like we had such a, a significant group. Reeves didn't play the back end. Warple didn't play the back end. We got a lot of players that are going to come back in and compete for spots. If you think about that last month of football and those players not playing, how much better are we going to be with with those seven or eight um, playing footy? But not only that, I think one of the most important things around that group of eight is that they've all had really big pre-seasons. So they've got a real good base that sits behind them going into the year. So even even Jath, you know, last year, going into the season, only just got to the line round one it was like a, it was a race to get there. And he played amazingly well in the first five games. Um, but because he didn't have the base, he didn't, he wasn't able to endure that. And then at the end of the year, wasn't able to even play because of injury. So a number of those players were in the same boat. Impey was off an ankle injury that just niggled for a long time. Frosty sort of had an interrupted pre-season um, and we didn't see the best of them. So, Positions will be really really heated and guys who played in the back end of the year thinking, oh, you know, I've, I'm, I've, I've made it, I've cemented my spot and I've played the last four rounds. They've got to now compete with those seven players coming back in and saying, well, I might take your spot. So there is real competition for spots. Um, you know, we've got three ruckmen now in terms of, Reeves, Meekin, and, and Lynch. So there's, there's competition there. You know, our back end, I just said before, um, you know, there's probably nine players, I reckon, who can fit into seven spots. And, you know, not one of them, when you go through the list, of players that we wouldn't pick most weeks. And, you know, so you're, you're talking about Scrimshaws and Days and Impies and Hardwicks and Frost and Sicily and DGB. And, you know, the list goes, goes on. Um, it becomes really quite challenging to to make round one side. And that's probably what we need at the moment. We definitely need that it's not a development phase where games are gifted. It's a development phase where games are earned and you have to play well to keep your spot. Um, and for mine, that's what fast tracks development. You can develop, there's no doubt about, by putting games into players. But if they're they're not having the pressure of, having to play well to keep their spot, that development won't be the same trajectory as the one that we've got now. And I'll, I'll, I'll add one last piece to that. That was the reason why we knew we could do what we did at the end of the year. Now, admittedly, Jager went and, and was typical Jager the best bloke in the room at, at uh, a wedding in Sydney and, and created some interest around him playing at GWS and, um, But realistically, when that interest came and we were weighing up with Jager, you know, what is the best thing for our football club, what we knew was that this group was now ready for that next phase and to take on that next responsibility of, of this football club, you know, embracing change and planning for the exciting new future that I spoke about in the vision before. Piggybacking
2: off that answer then, Rob, um, the the next two weeks are help frame the season with practice matches. Um, What's the club's approach to that? Do you just chuck in best 22 and and go for it? Do you play the kids? Do you find a combination of both? What what does the club hope to get out of the next two practice matches ahead of the season starting? And is there a, you know, is it a, We'll see a bit of Henry Huswaite, who was fantastic in that intra-club match in Tide. And, you know, do we see uh, Cooper Stevens as another option through the inside midfielder? Um, do we see experimentation with players in different positions? What does it look like?
3: Yeah, um, I, I love Sam's approach to, to round one. It was exactly the same last year. He said, what we do in these, these three weeks, intra-club right through to that last practice match, is we select in a manner that gives us the biggest pool to select from for round one so we've actually seen enough of the players that we think are, you know could possibly make selection by round one instead of maybe going 22 couple of changes into the next 22 couple of changes into the next one so over the next couple of weeks you'll you'll see a little bit of that we'll also be really smart in in how we look after our players leading into round one. So a Bruce isn't a player I think would play intra-club and the next two. Um, you know, even a Giath and an Impey who have had such good pre-seasons but are off the back of, you know, years where have been interrupted, we'd probably be smart with our our, our use of, of players even in, in that category as well, which will then allow us to see a little bit more of Henry um, hopefully get another look at Cam. Um, give a another uh shot even at, at uh that ruck spot for all three of them. Um so use the next two weeks. While it'll be very close to what the side will be against Essendon on, on March the 19th, um it won't be it won't be exact in, in the science of it because we want to get to the back end of the Collingwood game and say, well, we've seen enough of about twenty eight or twenty nine players who are now in our best
1: twenty two plus one. Yeah, battle test, Chad, for the next couple of weeks. Given yeah. he, he was the first one you pulled out last, didn't play after the bye. So does he need footy? A, we discuss this all the time. There's some of us think cotton wool till round one. Others say no. He's got you've got to play him now to see how he can see whether he's going yeah. to break down again. Yeah, it's um,
3: yeah. Look, and and, and again, if. Uh, if you ask Chad, he he's he loves playing. Um trainings where he breaks down often. <laughs> um so he's 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 pretty excited about playing some footy. I I would expect that we'll uh we'll definitely see Chad against Geelong this weekend. Um the the intra club was a little bit short on a a little niggle that he had, not a not a strain, but a little niggle that he had. Um so we didn't take any any risk with that game, but um yeah, look, he'll play. He'll play this week, and and then I reckon it'll be a, a bit of a uh, a look at how many quarters he play against Collingwood, and and then be ready to go. Now he's he's like when I said before, Jaff and and Impy, um, he's had his best preseason uh, since he's been with us. So let's hope that that transfers into his best year of footy for a long time. He deserves that, but but also so does the the members and fans that. That know, and we're so excited about what type of footballer we got when he arrived from Port Adelaide. We just have only seen glimpses of of that. Um, I'd love. I've, there's probably no player at our football club that I'd love to have a a great year more than him. I think he he deserves a little bit of change
1: of luck, and, and so, do we, so do we and our fans. Uh, did you choose Geelong because they're the best, and you thought this what a great opportunity to battle test against the best, or did the AFL did it come out of a hat from the AFL?
3: Um, the, the funny story about that one is that um, that first one clubs had to organise and I reckon as soon as it came out I reckon I was, I, I was a little bit slow off the mark I reckon I was an hour or two after the memo come out something and oh, well, I'll just ring a few that that um, have some relationships with and, and see if they'll play us um, all of them said no uh, they've already got a game organised <laughs> I started to do the math. I'm thinking, I think we've got the cats. <laughs> so good. Let's let's take on the the reigning premiers. They're a they're a great team, obviously. And and I think they'll probably be at a different phase in even their uh preparations for, for the year. They played a, a month longer than what we did. Um so you know, I think we'll probably get two clubs that are at a different phase, but it won't hurt hurt our boys to to find out you know, what the best do and and learn some lessons from that, but hopefully teach some lessons as well. And and wouldn't you get some confidence if you played well against, you know, a player who's, you know, really built a, a reputation in the game and and maybe even played
1: well on grand final day. Last question. You talked before about uh, the role Richie Vandenberg played and some of the big decisions that have been made. He's no longer with the club. How important is the footy director's role for what you do and how soon will it be filled is that something that needs to be filled by round one or the club's clearly taking its time over the over the search process are you comfortable with that or do we need someone on board pretty well, soon i
3: just need to ask have either of you three being interviewed you're not, no, bobbing. Not, not, yet. not bobbing for the spot are you
2: still still waiting for that uh for that phone call Right.
1: Um, we're just trying it, to influence the decision by people whose names we've dropped on social media but go on
0: yeah. Is that an informal offer, Rob? Is that what's going on here? Well, I tell you what,
1: someone
3: higher than me will be making informal offers. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> Richie, outstanding, um, fantastic in in uh, his his visionary approach to to our football club and and where it needs to go. And that really did start a number of years ago. Um, we all know Van is on the field as as uncompromising in terms of once he's made his mind up, if there's a ball to get, it uh, didn't matter who was in the way, get it. Um, you know, he's he's stood really strong around the, the strategy that we have for, for getting back to where we want to be, and that's towards the top of the ladder, not where we are at the moment. So he's been a great support to me. Um, he's been someone that I, I will always bounce um, ideas off, opinions off, um, strategy off so I can't speak more highly of, of Richie than than um, what I'm saying right now he's he's been a a significant part and if we were good enough to get back to competing again he'll be he'll, he'll have played a really big part in that where are we in terms of the the new director I know that they formed a panel I know that they interviewed some um not going to to say that uh I'm aware of of any decision that's made yet, but I I do know in speaking to Andy Gowers that um, their next board meeting I think is around uh, the 27th, and that was a sort of time frame that they were looking at. So I'd expect that you know within the next fortnight um, we've probably got a pretty good idea of who that person is, and that person can get their feet inside. Our football department, I think that's really important and something we've done really strongly around uh, Andy and James who have come in as new board members, Um, we wanted to make sure that they felt like they could get in, um, see our our football department in operation, understand the strategy that we have and the decisions that we make, um, see the quality of work uh, and feel like they are very much part of the journey that we're on.
1: Rob? Rob? That will wrap it up for us. This has been an incredibly informative chat with you. I think the members and supporters listening uh, would have even further confidence in the direction of the club and certainly feel uh, really up to speed where things are. at. So we just want to thank you for your time. It's been, you've been very, very generous with your time uh, in speaking to us. And on behalf of all Hawks Insiders and people who listen to us and follow us, best of luck the season. It's a big season, but I think everyone's tremendously excited. I can't remember a time. It's about you talk to non-Hawthorn people and they question, you must be disappointed about, you know, Mira and Mitchell going and what are you guys doing over there? But there's complete unanimity from every Hawthorn person I speak to. And I speak to a lot that the clubs actually, every decision you've made the last 18 months is the right one. So you, you feel, you have filled a lot of people with a lot of confidence. Yeah, look, I thanks,
3: the the things that you guys do too is, uh, is so important The you know getting them the message out to our people we want we want this ride not to be one that surprises anyone we want it to be one that people are really aware and they can keep us accountable to it too i think that's really important you know you can have um you know these strategies inside a, an organization and by not sharing it with the, the broader public, you're only absolutely kept to account by the small number that sit within um, that organisation. I'm, I'm more than comfortable that, you know, places and spaces like this allow us to share what our, our story is and what our story will be and then obviously open us up to be absolutely measured on that. And, and I think that's fair and reasonable.
1: Well... Uh, thanks again. Best of luck for the season. Uh, hopefully we'll get the chance to catch up and maybe do some sort of mid-season catch up with you and see how everything's tracking. But uh, best of luck for the practice games and then more importantly for the season ahead. Thanks for your time. Good on you guys and go Hawks. Go Hawks. Thanks, uh, thanks Rob McCartney. That was, a good, uh, that was a good chat. Probably one of the better ones I think we've done so far for Hawks Insiders.
2: I feel like we say that after every chat we do lately. I think the insight that we've had and the guests that we've um, had access to, uh, especially with Peter Birch last week and and uh, Rob today is just, it's unreal. And it's really, really good to see the club being really open with the information that it gives its uh, its members and fans. And I think that only bodes well for the uh, buy-in from fans, I think, and members um, over the course of the journey that the club's on. And I think that that's just a really exciting prospect.
0: The notion that uh, everyone was floating after listening to Burge and exciting, excited about where we're heading. They'll be floating and everything else after this. I, I feel like...
1: No, I took Joel Kick nine goals to one in the first quarter of the practice <laughs> match? Just don't get too ahead of yourself.
0: Well, maybe we should release it at quarter time of the practice <laughs> match then. No, look, I think, you know... Th- actually thinking back around the you know that comment about we've said multiple times looking at photos of the te- of the boys on their socials about just how united they are as a group and how we've got a good bunch of blokes together and you know we hear it from Sammy but back to back um you know these two pods have showed us that we've got great people at our football club we've got quality people that are clearly in the upper echelons of you know everyone in the competition in their position and all it means is that we're setting ourselves up to give up give us the best opportunity if we can um be patient you know I think that's the key and and we've got it at the moment if we can be patient and think about what life will look like in five years time when we're at Dingley and all these kids have played those hundred games and we've got a couple of big name players in like we are, we are on the right track, which is very, very exciting.
1: Uh, Thanks for your time gentlemen in joining us for this podcast. Don't forget uh, Hawks and Siders, $5 a month, $50 for the year for Great Hawthorne content, just about something every day for people at the moment. Don't forget to join us on Thursday night for our post-practice game spaces, our usual time, 8.30. We will go through this uh, Geelong practice game in the most minute detail. One of us has to actually watch it, but we'll make sure that least one of us is across the entire game. It's a terrible time for people who are working or got kids, but uh, we'll make sure we're across everything. Um, and look for more stuff also some stuff around the 83 premiership 40 years coming up as well on Hawks Insiders so thanks everybody thanks to you Andrew thanks to you Danny for being part of this we will talk to you again very soon on Hawks Insiders until next time bye for now
0: Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news,
1: interviews and so much more.